This uh, message, this uh, passage is a very terrifying one, and yet at the same time a very comforting and exciting one. So I, uh, I'm excited to get it. This is Matthew 20, 7, 21 through 23, Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. The word of the Lord. You know, as a pastor, I often get to spend time in hospitals. It's really neat to see how technology is changing, how medicine is done. I don't know if you've heard about some of these new things that have come out, these newfangled ideas, like a 4D ultrasound. Has anybody heard of that? 4D ultrasound, where literally they can take a picture of a baby in the womb to get a complete picture, indeed a complete HD video of that child moving in the womb. 4D ultrasound. Very powerful. How about this one? I just heard about this one. There's a, this is a whole new meaning to YouTube, by the way. You may see one of these posted. They have a capsule now that is a transparent capsule that has a camera in it. And you swallow the capsule, and as it goes and goes through the, the intestines, the thing's taking pictures of what the intestinal walls look like so that the doctors can figure out what, uh, you know, what treatment to do. I mean, that's astounding. A little camera, you know, running through. It's a little, what's the word, uh, uncomfortable too, a little bit too close to home. Well, we had the opportunity, uh, one of my sons and I, to experience medicine at its cutting edge. Uh, there was some issue with one of my kids' thyroids. They wanted to have it checked out and all these sort of things. So they sent us to the hospital. And the particular wing they sent us to said, nuclear medicine. Nuclear medicine. I'm scratching my head going, that doesn't sound right, nuclear and medicine. But nonetheless, we went in, and what they told us was going to happen is you were actually going to swallow a radioactive pill. And as the pill went into your thing, into your body, uh, they, could, they were able to track absorption rates of this radioactive material and make sure that everything was absorbing in the digestive system the way it was supposed to. <clears throat> so I'm a little nervous about this, okay? I show up, I'm sitting there with my son, and in walks the guy with the capsule. Okay, it's, it's this bottle, but it's got like lead shielding around it. Okay, and, and, and the guy's got, you know, the gloves. Okay, and he comes and he sets this thing, and he undoes it, and with some tongs he pulls out one capsule. There's only one capsule in this thing. And he goes ahead and he drops it in this little cup. Now this was my favorite line. He said, don't touch it, just drink it. <laughs> don't touch it, just drink it? What are you talking about? Radioactive pill, well he swallowed it. I, I was expecting like Spider-Man or Superman powers out of this thing, because that's always what happens. Uh, he was just my super son. He stayed there. Well, that's why he's a super son. He swallowed a radioactive pill. You know, I love these concepts about being able to go and see what is inside of your body. As a pastor, I don't work on the physical inside, but I do work on the spiritual inside. I thought to myself, wouldn't this be neat if there was some way to look inside a person and to see their heart? Because all too often we see the outside and we think we have a picture of someone, but once we go inside, we realize something is different. Sometimes we don't even know the difference between the outside and the inside. 
What the scriptures tell us is that there will be a final exam where the inside of our life is examined. And what we believe, what we show on the outside won't matter as much as what's going on on the inside. And this is kind of neat, this passage here, because Jesus is giving us the chance for a PSAT, if you will. Not an SAT, but a PSAT, a way to diagnose and look at our heart to examine if we're moving in the right direction because at the end of the day, we will take a final exam. See, in this passage, there's three specific groups of people. Two that are doing Christianity for the wrong reasons and one who's doing it for the right. And if you take a look at this whole thing and you boil it down, it's really quite simple. If you make Jesus your formula, your life is a lie. But if you make Jesus your love, your life is eternal. We're going to look at three particular groups. Number one, that group that's trying to fool God, trying to pull one over on him. There's another group who's a lot more sincere, though. Not a group that's trying to fool God. Rather, they're trying to earn God. And then there's a final group, a group that's not trying to fool God. A group that's not trying to earn God. They're simply trying to love God. So let's look at these different groups. Number one, the group who's trying to fool God. Now, we see something very interesting in this passage. A group of people who seem to have it all together. Look at it. When, when we're seeing a picture of how they live, we see a couple things. The first is they call Jesus Lord. Not many who say to me, Lord. See, that's a respectful term back then. You know, it's kind of like when we say Lord Jesus, not just Jesus, Lord. They're very respectful, these people of Jesus. Additionally, they're very orthodox. Because the word Lord, as they would have said in Aramaic, is the covenant name of the Lord. Yahweh. You would only use it as a covenant name for God. And so they're saying, we understand who you are. You are Yahweh that we are speaking to. They're respectful. They're orthodox. Indeed, they're even enthusiastic. One Lord isn't enough. It's Lord, Lord. We're trying to get our message across that you are the guy and we understand who you are. In fact, they're so enthusiastic, this group of people, that they want to use the Lord's name publicly. In your name, Lord, we drove out demons. In your name, we did this. In your name, we did that. See, they make a public profession of faith day after day. And what's more, they even do in this public profession of faith spectacular things. I mean, read what some of these folks did. They prophesied, they cast out demons. It says here they performed mighty works. The translation for that would simply be miracles. These guys had power. If we wanted to translate it into this world, in pastor speech, they'd be blue chippers. Blue chip. They have everything that is going on. But the truth of the matter is, something is wrong in their hearts. Because they're realizing, here's what's going on. This Christianity thing really has some power behind it. Because they lived in a religious society. And if I can go ahead and play the game, if you will, there's a whole host of perks that are available to me. And so they're in this thing, not for Jesus, they're in it for themselves. They're the rock stars, if you will, standing up in front of everyone. They know how to play the game. But Jesus says to them during this example of a final exam where they're standing at the gates, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Luke 6.46, which is the parallel passage where the Sermon on the Mount is in Luke, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke, draws it out a little bit more. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, they have everything together on the outside, but in the inside, they're not seeking to follow the Lord at all. But these guys say, wait a second, wait a second, we have done great stuff. We've been out there in the world, we've you know, lifted up your name, we've done all of these incredible things. See, they played a three-card Charlie with the world, and now they're trying to do it with God as well. Yeah, what difference does it make the heart? I mean, look at what we did, we pushed your kingdom, we grew it. We have done great things. Shouldn't we gain entrance into the kingdom of God? But Jesus said, I never knew your name. I never knew your name. Because the heart, the examine, the examine of the heart shows that what you were doing was not for me. You were doing it for yourself. See, it may have been in Jesus' name, but it certainly wasn't for Jesus' name. What they were doing was simply lip service, not heart service. This shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, there's a great story in the book of Acts about a guy that got wrapped up in this in Acts 8. There was a guy named Simon who, he practiced sorcery in this town in Samaria, and some of the apostles show up, and this guy, Simon, is so good of a magician that everyone is astounded at what he's doing. In fact, his nickname was the Great Power. Now, that's a nickname I would always like, by the way. Hello, Great Power. How are you? Nice to see you. Would you like some eggs? Great power. Yes, I would. He's the great power. This guy's unbelievable. And it says that the people followed him because they were amazed at the things he could do. But when Philip came along, the disciple Philip, and preached the good news, people believed. Indeed, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Simon was amazed at the power that was coming out of these disciples' hands. And so when he saw that the Spirit was giving at the laying on of the hands... He offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, magicians, when they found someone else that had a trick, they would go ahead and pay so they could get that trick as well and put it in their repertoire. But Peter, the apostle, said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. See, that man was in a very dangerous position. He was baptized, he was a believer, and he thought he was doing the right thing, but at the end of the day, he knew he wasn't. That Christianity had become a tool, had become a toy. You know, one of the most dangerous positions you can stand in is the one that I'm, I, I'm in right now. You know, as a pastor, as a Christian leader, you can stand up in, in front of people, you can proclaim the gospel. You can be the guy, oh, certainly he's more religious than everyone else. Look at the way he lives his life. And when you peel back the layers, here is a person whose heart is not devoted to Christ. You know, I've known tremendous leaders, tremendous Christian leaders, who were unbelievably effective and powerful in their ministry. And then, all of a sudden, you see him going and then right off a cliff. What happened? What happened was it was all a sham. Maybe you've heard of this guy. I bet you have when I give you his name. He was a very famous evangelist. Not in the United States, mind you, but very famous. This guy had international renown. He was on that same level, if you will, like with like a Billy Graham. 
in terms of his, his uh, carriage, his power. He knew Jesus like very, very few people knew Jesus. He just got the sense when you were around this guy that he had this intimate relationship and walk with Jesus. And people were amazed because when they heard him speak, they felt his presence. His devotion was unbelievable. I mean, he was sold out. He left everything to follow and to be uh, a part of this ministry that God had called him to. But there was a problem. Because inside of his heart, there was a totally different story. He was in this thing for himself. And one time, the opportunity came along to make a choice. Opportunity for money or for Jesus. He looked at both of them and chose the money. You all know this person's name. His name is Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ. See, at the end of the day, Judas's life was a lie. And we have to examine our own life to wonder if these things are, could be used about us. That maybe we're using Jesus as a strategy, but not as our God. Maybe we're confessing his name, but not loving his person. See, it's easy to blame those other guys out there, isn't it? You know, blame them. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you know, it's funny. People tell me sometimes, well, I don't want to go to church. They're all just a bunch of hypocrites. I always say to them, don't worry. There's room for one more. <laughs> hypocrites, you know. The question we have to ask is this. Why do you follow Jesus? Plenty of reasons you could. We're in a religious enough culture and society that you can have some standing if you do so. Maybe you follow him because he gives you something. You know, in his name, I can have a good life. In his name, I can have a good marriage. In his name, he will bless my business and my standing in the community. And so we come on Sunday with a leather Bible and our talk that we know about Christ. And we're known in the community as the spiritual guide. The place to go to, the person to go to when we have answers. And much like these people, if this is our heart when we get to Jesus, we too will protest. Well, look at all the great things that were done. But Jesus will say to us, you fool, I never knew you. Away from me. I find it so ironic that these people were used Jesus' name all the time, and yet Jesus didn't know theirs. If you make Jesus your formula for life, your life is a lie. But if you make Jesus your love, your love, his love is eternal. Well, that's the group of people who are using God. Now, there's another group of people that are trying to earn God. See, truth of the matter is, we don't exactly know who these people are. We get the sense that they might be charlatans from other parts of the Bible. But you know what? They could also be super religious people, right? Look at them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, these guys are saying, Lord, Lord. But not to go ahead and play games. They really mean it. Lord, Lord, look at the great things that some of these people have done. We drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles. We did all of these wonderful things. See, maybe these guys aren't faking it at all. They're the Pharisees of the community, if you will. In modern day, they'd be the deacons and the elders and the pastors. And they are serious. See, these guys are in it to win it in the right sense of the word. They're not irreligious, they're over-religious. 
And so they are on a mission. And their comments are very simple. God needs me. And I've got to do my part. Because if I work hard enough, I can earn this. I can get to God with all of my accomplishments. And so they're the ultra-religious ones. And when they walk in to see Jesus in the last day, they're not going to walk with fear or trepidation. They're not going to walk in with conniving, realizing they have to fool God just like they fooled everyone else. They're going to walk in with their head held high and their resume and their dossier with all of the things that they have done for the gospel. Set it down and say, where's mine? In other words, I've earned this. I deserve this. You owe me. Pay up. But the truth of the matter is, they didn't need Jesus. In fact, Jesus wasn't in the equation anywhere, was he? We didn't need Jesus. All we needed was our hard work. They didn't want him. The truth of the matter is, everything that they did was simply self-serving. Simply to build up my resume. It wasn't for the love of people. It wasn't for the love of God. It was simply life insurance. And so God unmasks their hypocrisy, not of irreligion, but over-religion. Some of you have heard this story. I think I've told it once before. It was by Charles Spurgeon, who was the great Baptist preacher. And he told a story about a king. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled everything in the land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And he realized to himself, this is the best I'll ever do. And so he went to the king, his king, and he said, Okay, great king, I'm a gardener. This is the greatest carrot that I have ever grown and will ever grow. And out of respect and love for you, I want you to have it. And as the servant turned to go, the king was touched, and he discerned the man's heart. And he said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land freely to you as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who heard all of this. And he said to himself, wow, that's what the king does for a carrot. Imagine what I'll do if I really bring him something that's big. You know, he started calculating the numbers in his head. So he came back, he came the next day, and he brought this beautiful black stallion. And he went before the king and he said, oh king, my king, I am a, uh, a horse breeder. And I bring you the stallion because this is the greatest stallion that I've ever raised, and it will be the greatest stallion that I'll ever raise. And so the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, he was in it for himself. At the end of the day, who was worse? The irreligious people or the religious people? Both had the same punishment, didn't they? Away from me, you evildoers. I never heard you. See, we have to examine on our own hearts. Maybe we do look down on those irreligious people. We got it more together than that. We know what we got to do and we're going to do it. And so we're going to get on our knees if we have to and crawl up those stairs because we're going to make sure that God knows what we have done for him. The first group didn't want Jesus, but the second group didn't need him. Why was Jesus' uh, condemnation so strong on them? 
Because they gave the greatest insult of all. They didn't honor the Son. They made Him irrelevant. In John 6, some people coming to Jesus asked the question, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus simply said this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom He has sent. For whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So you don't get to heaven because you've done great things. You go to heaven because you have great love. See, this is terrifying, but it's also something very beautiful. See, Christianity is upside down as regards all other religions. See, all other religions, it's quite simply this, rack up the points. You have to be pious. You have to do the things that you are supposed to do in this book. And when you get to the counter, we'll go ahead and tabulate. And if you've done enough, you're in. But not, you're out. And so the standing of people is based on their religious reputation, if you will. Christianity is the exact opposite. See, these people are going to hell because they didn't do great things. They're going because they did. Because they didn't honor God. Am I saying our actions don't matter? No, of course not. But I'm saying that it's the heart that matters. For out of the overflow of the heart, the life lives. So you can live the life, or try to, without the heart. But you can't without the heart live the life that you're supposed to. It's a natural flow. And so we have to make the decision. Because there's only three people in the story, and we're one of them. The first is, we're either irreligious and this whole thing is a sham. Or the second is, we're religious and this whole thing is our life insurance. We have to make a decision to get out of this religious game. Because it's killing us. There's only one way that we can go. And that is the way of Christ. Because if you make Jesus the formula of your life, your life is a lie. But if you make Jesus your love, your life is eternal. Well, I said that there were three different people, didn't I? Those trying to fool Jesus, those trying to earn Jesus, and those trying to love Jesus. See, the truth of the matter is, we see in this passage, that the only one who can enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of my Father. And truth be told, if that is the litmus test for each one of us, we're all going to fail. Because the only one who can get in is the one who does the will of the Father. See, if I look in the mirror, the truth of the matter is I'm not an obedient son. The truth of the matter is I'm just like all of these other guys. I can paint it however you want. You know, you can put lipstick on the pig, but it's still a pig. Don't take that analogy too far, by the way, when you see my face. The point is, it's the obedient son. Jesus, the Christ, the son, came to earth. Not to lord it over everyone, did he? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, there would be times when Jesus was walking along and they saw his miracles and they wanted to make him king. And yet Jesus would walk away. How about Satan? If you just worship him, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. But that wasn't Jesus' point. What about the Pharisees that wanted to pull him in the direction, you know, come be religious like us. You can be our guide. You can be the priest. You know all the answers. But Jesus would just turn the tables over with the money changers, wouldn't he? No, Jesus understood 
that there was only one focus of his life that he needed to worry about. And that was the love that he had for his father who had sent him. Jesus lived the life and died the death because of his obedience and his love of the father. And because he lived this way, because he died this death, he was resurrected. And you know what his father said to him? I know you. I know you. You're the obedient son. Who can stand in the holy place? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to idols or swear what is false. The truth of the matter is none of us do that. But Jesus Christ did. And because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be religious. We don't have to be irreligious. We simply can say with our religion, God have mercy on me, a sinner. We can simply reach out our hands and say, God, I need what you have for me. Your honor is all that I need. We can go to Christ because he's the one that we've been looking for. His love is the one thing that you've been searching for. I close with this thought. Jesus Christ doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your accomplishments. He doesn't want your embellishments. What he wants is your heart. He wants to know that you understand that he is the obedient son. And as you cling to him and hold on to him, that the Father recognizes you because he recognizes him. All of your life can be found in Jesus Christ. When you count all things as lost to the outside. When you say, you know what? My deepest desire is to know you. And the power of your resurrection. And the fellowship of your suffering. Jesus, I consider everything a loss. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good, easy transaction to make, isn't it? What do you want to choose? You want to try to fool him? You want to try to earn him? Or do you just want to try to love him? That's all that he's looking for. People that seek him and love him. If you make Jesus your formula, your life is a lie. But if you make Jesus your love, your life is eternal. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you're a true God. You're not faked out by people who give lip service. You're not faked out by people that want to save themselves. Lord, when you recognize your son, the great one, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who became a man, who lived the way that you wanted us all to live, who died in our place and who rose again, and you knew his name. Lord, help us to grasp onto you, Jesus. For you know his name and all those in you, you know our name as well. Lord, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Help us to repent and to walk in the way of the Lord. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.